Thank you so much for joining us on Hope on the Rise Conversations. We're so glad to have Kevin Brown with us. If you want to find out more about Hope on the Rise or the work that Bob Roden is doing, go to bobroden.com. We'd love to see you there. And if you think of this, make sure you share this on social media and with a friend. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be together again. And I want to say welcome to uh, Kevin as well. You know, uh, I have a uh, grandson who would, who attended uh, Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. And my son-in-law, Dr. Dean Nicholas, is the, uh, they call it head of school there. So we were out for the graduation or commencement uh, service on, uh, at the end of May. And, uh, and, and Kevin was the speaker. I thought, well, we get to hear Dr. Kevin Brown, the president of Asbury and with all that's been in the news these days. And uh, so he was, his, he called it his graduate talk. I love that. I love that, Kevin. As you, and then he uh, just in such an articulate way talked about them populating their mind with good things uh, out of out of Philippians four eight. And then he told a story at the end that really captivated me, where when he talked about the lamb wins. And uh, so I went away just saying, "Wow, I'd, I would love to." have a chance to, to, to meet Kevin, and maybe we can do even a podcast. And so I asked Dean if he would be kind enough to introduce me to Kevin by email. And he did that, and, and uh, Kevin responded by saying, I'm sure I'd be willing to do a podcast and talk about hope, because he said to the students, I have great hope for Generation Z because of what we experienced mm-hmm. at Asbury in February and so we're here today, Kevin. I want to say thank you for being with us and uh, being willing to talk about about this. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw it to you in just a moment here and say, have you? I want you just to to talk about what you experienced in February and what it is that gives you hope for Generation Z or Gen Z. That's called uh, based on what you experienced in February and any other context you want to give that. So welcome, Kevin. To Hope on the Rise, where we teach that hope is a noun rather than a verb. We know it can be a verb, but but that's that we're talking about hope as a noun. So welcome, Kevin, to Hope on the Rise. Thank you so much. Uh, what an honor to be here. And uh, Bob and I got to speak yesterday and um, have connected a couple of times. And uh, I'm, I'm honored at the invitation. And you're... Comments about uh, February, yeah, th- there's there's so much I'm still processing, and I have have shared that oftentimes I find or I feel my comments about that are inarticulate because I'm still trying to wrap my mind around what we saw and what we experienced, and almost um, a desire not to mislabel some of those things. Um, but it it was very much an event that was led by uh, Gen Z. Certainly a lot of young adults participating, a lot of folks from that generation. And I think there are, are certain characteristics uh, that arise with greater tendency when we talk about generational cohorts. And for Gen Z... Uh, some of those characteristics are, uh, one, they're obviously tech-savvy. Um, they, they very much have a, a, a can-do attitude. They're self-driven. 
Um, they have a desire to make the world a better place. They're, they're confident. They're empathic. They have a deep sense of concern uh, and care for others. Um, but what we often hear is how much they value genuine interactions uh, and authenticity. And so I, I think that that is key to understanding what, what we saw in February and how Gen Z really gave themselves to, to that event, uh, humbled themselves, consecrated themselves, uh, repenting, testifying, and then going out and sharing. Because if you think, especially of the last four years, it's been a really, really hard moment. And it's difficult, I think, for, for all people in the United States. But I think some of those challenges are asymmetrically uh, and acutely felt by younger generations. So we, we see global wars. We see economic uncertainty. We feel that. There's social unrest. There's racial injustice. There's this uh, trenchant political polarization that's marked by inflammatory language. When we look at the church, we've seen um, massive failures in uh, public failures in churches and parachurch ministries. Um, and this, this breeds, I think, a kind of cynicism and uh, frustration, but it also I think emboldens that desire, especially that young adults have, for something real, something genuine, something authentic, something true. And I think we just saw uh, these students crying out and saying, I want to give myself to uh, something that's real and good and authentic. And I've repeated so many times, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness they shall be filled. Uh, they, they are the ones who will have their appetite satisfied, who truly desire a right relationship with God and a right relationship with neighbor. So whatever else we saw, we saw hungry hearts come to the Lord, and we saw that hunger met, and especially among this generation. That gives me hope. You know, how was there, was there anything that sort of uh, prepped the environment, the college environment for this. I mean, was there sometimes there are days of fasting and prayer that precede these kinds of things, or did it just sort of come out of the blue? As we say, yeah, I would I would say a couple of things. Uh, it's it's hard to identify, you know, the the causal elements that uh, might explain some of these things, but but some things that that are pretty consistent in our community. You mentioned prayer. There has been there has been a lot of prayer. Uh, there have been there's been a lot of prayer amongst our our stakeholders, our constituents, our alumni, staff, faculty, uh, for a long time. Um, there has there's a kind of what I would describe as a collective imagination for things like this happening. Um, mm. So Asbury has had a history of revival-type events, the most popular being in 1970. In fact, a couple of years ago, we had, uh, it was right before COVID, actually, a 50-year celebration of the 1970 revival. And so we talk about those things. And again, there, there's a, 
there's a collective imagination, and then there's a high spiritual temperature uh, on our campus. But th the other thing I would mention in this community, and I, I, I will boast about this because I have absolutely nothing to do with it, it's just the way people are. It's just a really incredible community, and men and women who at great cost to themselves, at self-expenditure of their, of their time, their energy, their resources, um, worked laboriously just to make room at the table for this to occur and to accommodate the, the tens of thousands of people that came into town. There wasn't some motivating speech to do that. There wasn't a mandate to do that. There wasn't a financial incentive. There was just a strong, strong desire among the people in this community uh, to, oh, the Lord is doing something Let's create the conditions for this to unfold, and then let's get out of the way and see what happens. So those are some of the, the things I've seen that, that I think would explain why something like this would happen and why it would sustain in our community. Yeah. I, I want to follow that up with just a couple of things, and I know Peter probably has a question or two he'd like to ask you, but I, I was seeing where the, the mayor of Wilmore, Mayor Rainwater, that his grandfather came to, was asked to come to the college in, I believe it was the 1940s. He was a, he was a blacksmith who would put shoes on horses. So he came to, to be the one that would put the coal into fire. And they said, we'd also like for you to ring the church bell. So he said the mantra for him was, build the fire, ring the bell. I just love that <laughs> for Asbury. Build the fire, ring the bell. And uh, so so history yeah. has been, uh, we'll t tell the story of Asbury. I would ask you, uh, one of the things that, that evangelical leaders have said about you, Kevin, is that you were able to pastor or oversee this in a way that you kept it from being sensationalized. And that uh, with mm -hmm. media and so forth. And then you found a way to transition it because everything to some degree has a shelf life as we know that, but that's tricky. That's very tricky. Would you just talk for a moment about, uh, about how that, uh, how, how that happened, how you transitioned the, uh, this to what it is today? Yeah, there were a lot of incredibly wise and godly men and women in the room who th there was a, a constant sense of discernment, um, seeking to think carefully about how, how we move forward and how we steward this. Um, and so is, I'll, I'll just say to the comment about, um, in the one way it's been put, you know, there were no celebrities uh, leading this, that, that there was almost like this unspoken collective humility among people that I just really appreciated, um, that something was unfolding that was really powerful and special and historic, and no one wanted to seize upon it. I think there was a sense of like, oh, let's stand back. Let, let's create the order necessary, but, but let's stand back so that this can really unfold, and let's not put our thumbprint on it and, and ruin it. <laughs> um, as far as some of the, the decisions um, on how to 
move forward. Um, just a couple of thoughts on that. Um, one, you're right. We we're a university, and you know I, I've shared with people our accrediting body. Uh, one of our uh, requirements to remain accredited is not to sustain revival-like events. Uh, so um, we're a university. Uh, this is a kind of fruit of our mission as a Christian university, but it's not necessarily the mission. And we have students. Uh, and my, my priority is to our students. We say that we are a student-centric school. And so one of the things that really helped us uh, during a difficult period of a lot of decisions and trade-offs is to think very carefully about our mission and to return to that. What's the standard by which to adjudicate these difficult decisions? Well, what's our mission? Uh, so that was helpful to just kind of the knowing your why, uh, returning to that. Um, but related to that, I think there's a trajectory to events like this, and the trajectory is out. And in other words, the goal was not to perpetually localize what was happening, but, but to send it out. And so you mentioned fire, ring the bell. Uh, uh, what was the phrase? Build the uh, fire, ring the bell. Build the fire, yeah, uh, that's excellent. So related to fire, uh, a metaphor that emerged was, and I've said this several times, a fire, a fire is brightest when it's tallest. And in that sense, we had this blazing, multi-week bonfire, a spiritual bonfire. A fire is brightest when it's tallest. But a fire is hottest when it is actually simmering down into smoldering embers. And that was a helpful metaphor to share that. Could it be that even though it looks like things are dying down, on our campus, that actually this is just getting hot. And to carry that metaphor, the, the visitors that we have, the ministers, um, the leaders, the students, we counted over 280 different colleges and universities that came to our campus. The folks who had visited are kind of torch bearers, if you will, to go back into to their spaces and uh, to, to share um, the, these stories and uh, to continue to express that hunger and to invite others to the table for their, their spiritual hunger to be met. And so again, the goal was not to localize. I think the goal for events like this is always to go out. Um, and so I, I think that was, that was our heart. Um, was how, how do we uh, foster this incredible thing that's happening, yet be mindful of our students and prioritize their concerns and to commission uh, what was occurring out in the most faithful way possible um, without our, our thumbprint on it. And you, in our conversation yesterday, you said uh, on your best day, it's when you get to think about the formation, spiritual formation of the students and your focus on them as opposed to budgets and strategic plans and all the things that presidents <laughs> have to think about. And uh, boy, that that just uh, what a commentary on your 
style of leadership right there. That's a, that's sort of, I see Peter's back with us. So, uh, Peter, are, are you ready now? Kevin, I, um, I really appreciate all your sharing about, um, the revival and obviously you're passionate about students. Um, but there was a Kevin, um, before the Asbury revival that I'd like to get to know. Um, why don't we start here? Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up? Um, and then I just have a couple follow-up questions about you and how you landed at Asbury. Absolutely. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and which is about a little over an hour from, from where we are now. My father taught at the University of Louisville, and my mother was in the school system as a counselor. I have two sisters who also both went into education. And then I went into banking. And so, uh, but, but I eventually made my way around to education. Um, so I, I come from a family of educators and my experience in college, I just had a lot of women and men who deliberately invested in my life and it just changed everything. It changed my trajectory. And uh, I, I shared with uh, Bob recently that on our best day, this is the work that we're engaged in, to really weave ourselves into the fabric of a student's life, uh, to walk beside them, and uh, to, to uh, play a role in their formative experience uh, as they enter into new chapters of their life, which is exactly my experience that, that I had during that time. And so um, I started in higher education teaching in 2009 at Anderson University and had a great experience there and then had the privilege to begin teaching in the School of Business at Asbury in 2013, and then started in this present role in 2019. So I'm now in my fifth year as uh, an administrator. You know, I, I love all of that. Um, you know, I think Gen Z um, and younger generations are apprehensive and hesitant when it comes to economics and I was looking at all your dissertations and you know I think we should talk about dissertations because you spent a lot of time on it I guess what what I what I want to know in terms of economics and hope is you know what you've written about and what you've talked about whether it has to do with poverty um, I think that there's this tension of am I investing or am I helping to really for the better good or for the bottom line. And I'm sure that you experience that a ton. And I know that our country is talking a lot about economics. We have, mm -hmm. you know, we have voting coming up. So I guess for you kind of knowing this generation, um, being in an older generation, I'm not going to guess what generation, how do you navigate that tension of, you know, investing for the greater good versus investing for a profit in the bottom line? Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that um, Bob had mentioned, uh, a, a graduation talk that, that I give, and one of the things that, that I had a chance to speak at a few commencements this year, and I shared a, a great quote by Wendell Berry, who's here in Kentucky, where he says, a, a good artist could also be a good forger. There's an ethicist, Martha Nussbaum, who has said a, a good doctor could also be a good poisoner. And I think we could go on. A good accountant could be a good thief. And a good leader 
can coerce harm and an actor, actress uh, can deceive really well. So it's, it's not just the skill. It's, it's not just the, the development of a skill or a capacity in education, but it's also its moral application. Uh, and in fact, I would say the moral application of the skill is far more important than the development of the skill itself. And so we ask a lot of questions as a country and certainly in the field of economics, um, how, how do I bring some set of circumstances about, um, how do I get a result? Uh, how can I create, um, yeah, uh, how do I develop some of these capacities or competencies or sensibilities or whatnot? That's fantastic, that's really important. That's what, that's what educators talk about. Uh, but then we have to ask the question, to what end? Uh, what is this being used for? And if our development of new technology or the development of new capacities or increasing um, uh, yeah, funds and resources, if that all is just towards, I don't know, um, a greater GDP per capita, I, I don't think that's a really inspiring vision for most people. And if it's all just for uh, our own self-gratification, uh, I also think that's going to be a vision that, that is empty and wanting. Uh, but if it's something that's going to actually relate to human flourishing, um, to improve the, the communities and the societies that we live in, um, to, to leave the world better off, and then I would go a step further in my faith tradition and say to edify uh, those communities that we are in, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, all things are beneficial, yeah, but not all things edify. Um, our goal is to edify. All things are beneficial. Not all things glorify God. And so I, I love that idea of how do, we, how do we develop these capacities? How do we develop these skills? How do we create new resources? Yes, absolutely. But then to marry that to a Matthew 5.16 vision to let our light so shine before others so that they will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That is a far more inspiring vision to me of how we think about these things. And I would say when we've looked at, not we, the, there's research for uh, Christian colleges and universities and comparing our graduates to um, other schools, uh, secular schools, a lot of Christian schools have students that, that do have this service-minded reflex. They, they have a missional instinct uh, that they want to help others. They want to make their communities better. Uh, and again, I, I just find that to be an inspiring vision. You know, Peter, I'm thinking that uh, as, as Kevin is talking here, you were a part of a group of 10 students at uh, at Valley Forge Christian College, who we took four days and we did what we called an innovative leadership experience, and we brought you to Washington D.C. and had you interact with uh, with leaders who were people of faith, and we we talked. We had almost a Socratic method where we asked questions back and forth, and it was it was a great experience. And you and others have said it was one of the most fulfilling experiences of your college experience, which is, I think, Kevin, what you're saying, that, that, that people are looking for a way they can apply and interact with mm -hmm. what they learn. Uh, and that's, that's really a key. 
because we can get academic ivory towers and uh, and we we not go anywhere with it. But that's the key is is when our experience matches our information. And I think we are really on to something, something there. You know, Kevin, you're, uh, I think your experience of being selected to lead this school in 2019, then COVID hits in spring of 20. You, you're, you have impeccable timing, guy. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, amazing that, uh, that you, uh, it, one year into your first year, I guess, the, the spring of your first year was when COVID hit. Is that correct? That's right. It's it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> uh, and then in February of twenty three, you have this amazing, unexpected, you know, visitation of God. I think we could call it a visitation of God's Spirit to your campus. And I mean, all of these things together created a mix. That's a uh, that's pretty interesting for 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 you and for Asbury. Yeah, Kevin. I I guess I'm. I guess I'm just curious as someone that's with Gen Z all the time. Um, there's thing, there's questions that I'm sure you wish people would ask you. And there's also things you wish you could talk about, about hope for this next generation that you don't get asked, or there's something that you're like, just give me an opportunity to say it. You're in a very unique position. So I just want to give you that platform to talk about, what you're not being asked or what you wish you could say, this is your opportunity to say it. Oh, wow. Um, I think I would say two things. And, and one circles back to the conversation we just had a moment ago about the common good and what's inspiring to young adults or anyone, not just uh, to make money or, or whatever, but to really to help others. One of the, well, I'll put it this way. I, I kind of grew up with an evangelical story of the Christian life is is just not that fun. Uh, it's it's good and it's true and you'll go to heaven, but you got to hold your nose and suffer through this this kind of boring life and all your friends will get to party and do these fun things. But don't worry, when you all die, you get to have a party in heaven for eternity and, and they're going to suffer somewhere. I just think that's a really bad narrative. And we try to emphasize here that this, this Christian life that we're invited into uh, is our best life. That, that when Jesus says, uh, those who lose their life for my sake, they find it. And in John 10, 10, he describes that as an abundant life. Uh, Paul talks about taking hold of the life that really is life. Mm -hmm. And so this is what we want our students to hear, that th this life of uh, living for Christ, uh, living for others, edifying others, um, using our, our God-ordained capacities uh, to serve others, this is our best life. Um, and it, it's a life where we experience meaning, fulfillment, and gratification, and satisfaction, um, and it, it, it's the abundant life, as Christ mentioned. The, the second thing I, I, I just would mention about um, Gen Z, you know, statistically speaking, these students come with different spiritual sensibilities than previous generations. More than a third of Gen Z is religiously unaffiliated, most don't believe it's necessary to raise a child in religion. 
millennials and Gen Z, they're, they're much less likely to report attending worship services uh, as they grow up. Um, so I, I, I understand that this, this generation uh, has less of a religious orientation, but that's where I go back to, they want something more. They want something real. They want something genuine. And I, I've shared several times, I was really inspired. There was a podcast about the outpouring um, from someone who, I think they may be out of New York, but they're, they're not a person of faith. But on the podcast, they said, regardless of what you believe, you can't deny there are young people who have this burning, earnest belief in God. And they ended that by saying, and now I think you can say these young people have kicked off a movement of sorts. That quote really inspired me then. It inspires me now. This generation, uh, our generation of students, that, that they will be a kind of movement. And, and I believe in that. I believe in them. I have hope for them. And every day that uh, Peter or Bob... Uh, that, that you and I are coming in to, to educate them, whether that's in a school or a ministry, every day we, that we are praying for these students, every dollar that we invest in their lives, these things constitute a living vote for their future. Uh, so I believe the, the Lord wants to do something special with this generation, and I, I think we have the privilege to join in on that. Uh, and that's a great hope for me. Um, and to see that, that um, these, these young adults are saying, I don't want something um, fake or false. I want something real. Um, I'm going to value that. And I think that's an instinct that we need to recognize and value within that generation because I think that's going to carry them into some great things. Yeah. 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 You know, I want to say thanks again to Kevin for being on the podcast today. And I, you know, you are a, you are a voice of hope and uh, continue to model it. And as they say, build the fire, ring the bell at Asbury. It's Amen. one of those places. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll remember that about this podcast. And I, uh, uh, I would encourage people to pray for Asbury and the students there and all of our colleges across the country. And we, uh, I know that, uh, you know, that God has you in the very palm of his hand and we're grateful for this opportunity. So why don't we just uh, close with a word of prayer here? We'll pray for Asbury and then Peter, you can give us any final word as we, uh, as we leave. Okay. Lord, thank you for this opportunity today to speak with one of your, your appointed servants who is leading a, a community, a community of faith to new levels of understanding about how God works in our lives and to experience the joy of following Jesus Christ. We pray your blessing on Asbury today. Pray your blessing on all of our colleges that, uh, that lift up the name of Christ. And we pray for those that are struggling. We ask for you to intervene in every situation. So thank you, Lord, today for hope. We do believe that tomorrow is going to be better than the day. And we're doing something about it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.